0: You know, you always want more in life, right? I mean, average is the enemy for me. Not only meet people's expectations, but exceed them. I like making more deposits than withdrawals.
1: You've created opportunity by always giving first.
0: The why doesn't just come from working in a cubicle nine to five. I didn't write a check when Quest was right? I didn't invest in it, but I, I created a sweat equity. You can't make a product have success without people trying. Someone wrote us as I heard about Quest. Boom, they get two bars in the mail. He turned down Walmart three times. Imagine being an intern somewhere. Fast forward nine years later to have equity and a billion dollar brand, who would not do that, right? You need a thousand screaming fans. It doesn't matter whether it's drink, clothing, apparel. If you have a thousand people screaming about you, you're bound to be successful. I call it pride and ownership. Take ownership and, and show the actual owners that you care enough that it's, it's not just a nine to five job. Bring value and have no expectation of return. It'll come back tenfold on you.
1: And we are back in LA and guys, you should be very excited for this episode. The man, Bruce Cardenas is here and he's helped scale and exit Quest Nutrition for $1 billion and, and the, the man's a relationship builder. He's, he scales brands on uh, ex- exponential scale and mate, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. No, thank you. Thank you very much for, Came for coming. Came halfway around the world to yeah, see me. We, <laughs> no, yeah. I, with that jumper on, I did, I did, mate. Like, <laughs> mate, it's the brightest jumper in the world, and, and right. you're, you're a bright fella. And I've obviously listened to a little bit about <clears throat> your backstory. It's and, and it's an incredible one. Obviously working in Hollywood security, knowing all the celebrities that you've known, and you've you've kind of worked your way in, and then and then got gone on to be like a communication officer at Quest Nutrition, help them scale out for a billion dollars. Unbelievable story. But I want to really start go back into your journey, Bruce, because like. Obviously, how did you first get into working with all these celebrities and into the security industry? It,
0: you know, honestly, it started. I mean, obviously, I got out to LA and I became a police officer, which was a boyhood dream. Joined LAPD, and about a year into my job, you know, it's a modest salary, civil servant salary, and I wanted to make extra money. I had some, I had some security background from being in the Marine Corps, taking care of it. I was on a security de- detail there. So I met a guy who was a retired sergeant and had a security company so i started doing some details for him and it just evolved after about helping him for about a year and learning the trade i got my own insurance and license and took a test and and i started my own company and that started the the process of owning a protection business but obviously i built some really strong relationships to build that company out to where it was because a lot of people have security companies and never really get to that level
1: I think you you understood from going and working with the LAPD, and obviously that was a, that was something you dreamed of doing, but you kind of realized when you got there that obviously working a job was never going to get you the freedom and the wealth that you needed to be able to do, live the kind of life that you wanted to, right?
0: Correct. I mean, it, don't get me wrong. It, it's a great career, great path, great benefits, but I quickly figured out, you know, listen, I, I really and didn't know what an entrepreneur meant at the time, right? But I wanted to do more. And my father was, uh, at the time, uh, he had his own business and did multiple things back in the day. So, you know, you always want more in life, right? I mean, average is the enemy for me, and so I didn't want to just work nine to five and end up retiring after twenty years.
1: When I when <coughs> I studied you before this podcast, because I wanted to obviously try and bring the audience as much value as possible. Obviously, you were you were heavily involved in the in the early days and the exit of Quest Nutrition for a billion dollars, and I kind of didn't understand how you'd pivoted from Hollywood. And, and the celebrity type thing into into Quest Nutrition. So, how did you kind of get pulled into that? So, honestly,
0: and I, and I still have the security business. It, it's not, I don't do as much anymore because I'm, I'm doing a lot of other things, but I still have the security business. Honestly, I, I was at my peak in the security and I met in the gym uh, a woman named Shannon Penna, who goes by Quest Creator on Instagram. You guys should look her up. Met her in the gym. And you know, like you get to see the same faces, right? After a while in the gym, you made some small talk. And, and she basically one day offered me these couple protein bars. I said, hey, my husband and I started this company. You should check it out. And I was obviously into working out, and I've always had protein bars. And I think up until that point, the protein bars were just okay, right? And I remember I tried them, took them home, tried them, and I saw her a week later and I said, those bars are pretty incredible. The taste, the texture, and the ingredients. Everything, everything lined up for what you want. Obviously, you want, you want a protein bar to be an enjoyable experience. And that kicked off our relationship. And I, I think maybe, you know, I see her sporadically in the gym, and, and over a period of time... One of my celebrity friends was doing a golf tournament in a in a Riviera country club here. And I said, Hey, listen, if you have some extra product, I could probably get it in some people's hands. Because, I, I, you know, they were nice people, the product was great, and I wanted to bring value to them. So I brought it to my friend who was the publicist for this golf tournament. And next thing you know, which I didn't even know what the word content meant, believe it or not. I just knew I asked my friend, Hey, you know, can we get this in some people's hands? And she said, I'll do you one better. I'll get some people to talk about it. They'll do, you know, they had video cameras. There was no social media then, by the way. Facebook just started. No Twitter, no Instagram, nothing. And uh, they they did a couple of on-camera, you know, interviews, trying Quest bars on, on camera. I got some pictures of, you know, Mario Lopez and different celebrities. And I shared that with them at the Quest. And they're like, oh, my God, how do you know these people? And that kind of started the journey.
1: So, yeah, it just got your intrigue going, basically.
0: Honestly, they were cool people, Ron and Shannon, I knew them from the gym, they were nice, they were fit, and a little history, if you ever look up Shannon, um, her father was one of three people who beat Arnold Schwarzenegger, his name's Chet Yorton, he beat him, I think in the 1967 Mr. Universe in the UK, Wow. so there's a little bodybuilding heritage there, so we've always been loyal to the fitness space, and she competed in fitness, and her, and her, and her husband's obviously in the fitness, and as well as science and food and everything else. So that started the journey, and I helped them. I just started getting product in people's hands. I figured, you know what, I'm I'm, do, I'm protecting people like Jessica Simpson. I'm doing the security on a set of extra at Mario Lopez. So I would just bring product and say, hey, this is you know one of my friends own this company, and if you know, check it out. And it just it snowballed because then Mario Lopez is giving it out on camera on this on the show. And uh, about nine months later, Ron, who's the, the chairman founder took me to lunch and said, hey, listen, we're, we're, we're stealing from you. You're doing way more for us than we're doing for you. And I said, no, no. And they said, we're going to put you on the payroll starting Friday. This after nine months. A modest salary, not enough to change my life, but it was like, okay, right? And that then kicked in that work ethic thing that I learned as a young man, like from my dad. You know, I said, I'm getting paid now. So I literally had to switch gears and think, shit, now I really got to prove myself.
1: Bruce, who taught you that... Giving to give so much value on the front end to receive because I really want to break that down, for yeah. the, break that down for the audience because I think a lot of people are going out there in this day and age expecting um, opportunities to drop in their lap. And I think what you're showing throughout this podcast and throughout your j- whole journey is the fact of like you've created opportunity by always giving first.
0: I don't know where it came from, the extent of where I think my work ethic came from and how to treat people properly with respect was from my father. He was a hard-working guy. I mean, back then you would have called him a workaholic. Now you'd call him an entrepreneur. He had a construction, small construction business, but he always treated people well. He was our scout leader. While he wasn't really into sports, he still added value and was our little league coach and football coach because he wanted to always do things with, with our family. But I watched him bring back give back to the community. There's a trail named after him in our hometown because he, he built this hiking trail, 12-mile hiking trail. So I saw how he always added value, and, and I remember he and I together from my Boy Scout, you know, uh, Merit uh, for Life, uh, what do you call it? Eagle Scout Project. We started a recycling program together. So I always, I don't know where it came from, it's in DNA or more from him, but I always wanted to give back. And then as I progressed in the Marine Corps, I did more than I was supposed to. And I've always taught people, bring value, not only ex- not only meet people's expectations, but exceed them. And it's okay not, you don't have to have your hand out. It's sometimes okay just to do more and the, the rewards will come.
1: Have you noticed as a, as a kind of thing throughout your life, as a thread, that the more you've given, the more you've got on every level of your being?
0: Absolutely. You know, I, I say this, you know, we use this, like I, I like making more deposits than withdrawals, right? So I like helping people. And, and, and if nothing even comes of it, believe it or not, sometimes 10 years later, something will come of it. I've gotten phone calls from people that say, hey, I haven't talked to you in you know, six years, Bruce, but I had this opportunity. I remember you because of the following. And it's something that I did or met them or I, I brought, I left some kind of impression because I brought them value.
1: You've, you've left a deposit of value within these, with, within, within thousands of humans over your life. And then they bring you deals as a byproduct. product. And I think, for sure. I think there's a lot that can be learned from that because when you talk about what you went on and did at Quest and, and how that scaled and how, you know, the cash exit of $1 billion that it was exited for, which you would have done well out of as well. And I have no doubt about that. That was all because you seeked to help two people in the gym get exposure for their bars with your network of celebrity friends.
0: They were at, there was actually no expectation on my part of anything. As a matter of fact, I thought their bars are okay. They're good, right? But when I went and visited their office, which is important, it was in the hood. It was in the ghetto. And it was this little industrial strip mall, if you will, park. And there was no signage. And I, oh, I went and visited their office for the first time after about six months. And literally the first thing I thought was, gosh, they may not be in business in a couple of months because it was such a small, bro- run-down place, little broken-down desk, but they just worked hard. So my point to this is I didn't walk into this thinking, oh, this is going to be the next Amazon. I thought, man, maybe they'll be around, but they're cool people. So I enjoyed the connection and the camaraderie. And at the end of the day, you know, I got product and I got it in people's hands. And it really, it, almost, it became my why. While I enjoyed the bodyguard business, and that's important and I still do it, the, the the fact people started writing us saying hey you've changed our lives so I just wanted to keep bringing value to the, the to the team and it was an open it was a blank slate you know because I created the events department and the ambassador program because they were busy making the product and doing all the behind the scenes stuff and I had the I had the latitude as I called myself an entrepreneur within a company I wasn't mm-hmm. an entrepreneur because I didn't own the company but I was an entrepreneur I had the latitude to do what I wanted to do and I didn't run amok but I I looked at it like this, like, this great product, how do we get it in people's hands? And I wasn't a marketing genius, but I was a relationship genius. I figured, how do I get it in people's hands?
1: One thing um, that that's coming out through this is the fact of, like, you you didn't only build relationships, but you, you also had a deep ingrained why. There's a lot of people that listen to this that might be struggling to find their why. How would you advise the people that are struggling to find their why their purpose to find it. Because when you walked in earlier and when I met you, the from, from the moment I met you until now and on from this, you're, you're, you're always lit up from yes. the inside out. And that's because you have purpose. How can people find this?
0: It's interesting. I haven't always had a, a purpose. Maybe I have, but in different levels, but I, I, I feel for people that don't have a why because I think it's so important to find it. And, and sometimes people never find it. Um, I have had opportunities that I've been fortunate enough that from the Marine Corps to LAPD, and I've been selected for unique units, I think probably because of my outward, I was outwardly, you know, expressing interest in doing things more than just a nine to five. And I tell people this, your why doesn't just come from working in a cubicle nine to five. It's getting out, knowing people, whether it's events and um, whether it's networking, whether it's doing, like I said, it's not just a nine to five, One thing I learned at Quest was I could have easily just fell into a role and just done the events and nothing else, right? But when things needed to be done, it wasn't about sucking up. It was about, I saw the company had a need and I did things. I put events on my own credit card. We didn't have credit cards then. The company had no established procedures. Uh, I'll tell you an example of something I did, which I I share with everyone because those those same opportunities that are at every business in America, but sometimes people walk around with blinders on. So the guys were talking about building a studio, kind of similar to this, for a place for people to hang out and lounge when they came and visited. So we shut down from Christmas Eve until after New Year's, so it was like a 12-day period. I came in over the holidays, and I built out this studio. I got our blue, you know, our color was blue. I painted the walls. I got a big-screen TV. I got the, the uh, furniture. I paid for it all myself. And I remember when they came back from holiday, I was, I was traveling, and their exact words were, Bruce must have been here over the holidays. They didn't think, who did this? But my point is this, there's always opportunities in business. I don't think you have to, people worry about staying in their lane and not stepping on people's toes. But at the end of the day, it's okay to bring added value and additional value. Like I said, whether it's real estate or in the clothing apparel, whatever business you're in, you're you're a gym manager. You could still do more than what's expected of you and exceed those people's expectations, which leads me to believe you'll find your why or your purpose by helping helping other people. And that's just what I've been fortunate enough to find.
1: And what what would you say is one of the fastest ways that you've found to bring another human value? Just figure out what they need and 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 then and then and then try and help them in some way. Pursue yeah, that.
0: Yeah, and I'll ask people, hey, what do what do you need help in? You know, I mean, and cause, by the way, it's not always money. People always think, oh, you need to bring money to the table. There's relationships, there's energy, there's time. I donate some of my time to some really cool charities. You know, we we talked about Dan Fleischman earlier. He, he introduced me to Trina's Kids, which does uh, cool stuff for back-to-school programs for underprivileged kids. He, he runs the biggest toy drive in the, in the world, I think. Those don't cost any money. Those are time and energy, right? Show up, invite 20 of your friends. Hey, you need to bring an unwrapped toy. And to me, that just brings camaraderie. And that, for some people, that could, that could be their why. It could just be a charity event. You know, it doesn't have to always be a monetary financial gain. And I've learned, you know, over the hall, like I I donate my time at a midnight mission. It's a homeless shelter downtown where we feed the homeless. I I start out my Thanksgiving morning going there, long before I spend time with family and friends. But it's, for me, it's my why. It feels good because I think, I don't know if it's every human being should feel like this, but I feel like it. I think we we owe the world to give back. And if we're fortunate enough and we've had some success or some, some latitude to do that, why not give
1: back to other people? Well, I think, I think... One, you're right. And two, you've you found people with massive dreams and goals and you found your why inside their goals and allows your value to dictate them getting their why. And, and as a byproduct, you achieve your why along the way.
0: Exactly. I Like I tagged, yeah, they their goal was to, to make a, I don't think when we started to make a billion dollar brand, but also once that trajectory started, they had a different why than me, but my why became, I, I wanted to do, what i was contributing to
1: changing people's lives why do you think quest made it to the billion dollar unicorn exit status and other brands that had equally good products over the years have failed you know i think there's a lot of things people we
0: could we could argue this some of its timing luck i mean obviously the product was great if anyone that tried it initially the taste and texture was the first and then flip over and the ingredients were pretty clean considering it wasn't, you know, food. It wasn't, you know, chicken and broccoli. And I think that just took off. People started talking about it. One thing we did, and I tell people this that have a consumable brand, I, I we always, you'll go to an expo, right? You've been to bodybuilding shows and expos, and you go by a booth and they have their product and they'll have it all chopped up with toothpicks in it, right? Very unattractive. Here, you can take a. We always gave out whole bars. I want you to experience it, a whole bar experience, right? And I would normally, if you came to our booth or I ran into you somewhere at the gym at Gold's Gym, I'd give you two products. Hey, here's one for you, and here's one for your friend or family member, whoever you, maybe a coworker. And that was part of our success. I, we got it in people's hands, and they tried it, and they were like, wow, where do I buy this? So that was also part of the success. And I watched other brands, because I'm very keen on what other brands were doing. You go to an expo, and someone pour, pours you know an RTD into a little shot glass, like a little dentist glass, like a rinse glass. That's not a really great experience. And a part of it is the experience, of how you,
1: what you leave with your customer, right? So if you're a new brand, and you perhaps don't have the the monetary power that other big brands in your space have, how can you leave a good impression on the customer like what you're talking about?
0: Well, I think you have to figure that into your whole plan, right? So one thing I tell people is fail fast, right? So I'll give you an example. We had a friend of mine started a cookie company. And I said, listen, you got to get this in people's hands. You have, and he goes, well, I'm really tight on budget. I said, I realize you're making these cookies, right? But who's trying it? So it's almost imperative as much as making the product and packaging it. So this gentleman did a cookie company and he went to the LA Fitness Expo and he was right next to our booth and, and he, was very, he was very reluctant on sampling, but he sampled some and people weren't buying. They, they weren't, they, you know, and, but at our booth, they're trying it and they're leaving right there where they're buying a couple of boxes. And at the end of it, he was a little disgruntled, say, well, this, this expo was ridiculous. It wasn't worth my time. I said, well, you tested something out. People tried your product and they didn't buy it. So that means either you have to go back and reformulate because that's a, that's a true test if someone tries it. But my point to that is you must, you must get it in people's hands. You have to figure out a budget. You can't make a product and then expect people to, to have success without people trying it.
1: I've, I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs that, that make this cardinal sin, isn't it? That they, they start their brand, they do their logo, they get invested in what they're building. But they, if, unless someone wants to buy what, you, what you're selling – You've got nothing.
0: And I, and I tell people, this is something when I'm with my coaching, yeah, they'll spend thousands on a website, a design, pay for a logo, all the all the what the legalese, LLCs, they'll make custom shirts with their brand on it. And I'll say, how many people have tried it? Well, no one yet. Uh, so at Queston, crazy enough, you talk about this, Shannon was making the bars by hand in her kitchen, literally by hand. She would put them in, you know, wrap them up, and she would take them to uh, boot camps with her girlfriend, a female, she was training people, right? That was the first indicator that we had something long before there was a company. They tried them. They liked them and said, wow, these are amazing. And then Ron would take them to, they had a, tech, a technology company, a software company. He would take them to the office and tech guys who normally would eat Doritos and Red Bulls, you know, not, not really workout guys. They tried it and said, like, wow, can we try more? That's, that, that was the light bulb moment where they said, we've made them by hand. People have tried them and they love them, regular lay people, people that would not normally even eat protein bars. So that was the first indicator. And that's why I tell people, if you're making cookies, make them in your kitchen. Get them to your friends and family and relatives and everyone in the gym and say, what do you think before I waste a bunch of money on a website? If you want to start an apparel company, make up some, you know, get get a fit guy to try it and see how they sweat in it and work out in it before you waste a bunch of money and thousands of dollars having stuff imported only to find out no one wants to wear your stuff because you didn't really test it out, you know?
1: Yeah, I think that's where, like, a brand like Gymshark has done really well. Yeah. Because, obviously, Ben, uh, you know, and Lewis at the time, they they formulated the vest. They sent it to one person. They hand-stitched it. Then they got it back, and they were like, oh, can you change this? Can you change that? Once they had got the fit that fitted most bodybuilders well, they started to... Yeah. produce it in mass but they didn't do that before they tried it on these bodybuilders i think a lot of people are going out there trying to build brand like you say and then they're not giving not giving it time to refine
0: and early on one thing we did i forgot or like quest early on if someone wrote us you know the blog and, and we had facebook obviously once facebook were going we would mail them two ba- two bars complimentary if someone wrote us as i heard about quest boom they get two bars in the mail and the first thing they would try it and then people started what happened was that momentum like I said, there's a lot of factors in why things happen, right? Because don't, we don't always know why, right? But it took off. And then brands like GNC and Shop were calling us saying, hey, I've heard about these bars, which is a very nice compliment to have when people are reaching out to you saying, how do I get you on our shelf? And that happened at Walmart. I think we turned down Walmart three times.
1: And was that part of the positioning plan you getting it in people's hands in the gyms so that you could then negotiate on shelf space in shops by them getting introduced to you.
0: Absolutely. Because what happened was, and we've, and we've, and I say this too about brands, sometimes people, we've always been loyal to the fitness and bodybuilding space. That's where we started. Our first event was a bodybuilding show in Culver City uh, muscle contest. And we never wavered from that. A lot of brands will start at whatever their vertical is and then next, you know, two years later, well, we were doing CrossFit, we're doing bodybuilding, but now, they're, we're, now we've moved on to something else. We've always stayed loyal to our core, and it's still to this day. Um, and then in turn, those fitness, you know, think about the trainers. Think about a trainer who then influences his hunter clients, right? And we had trainers that say, hey, this is a good go-to snap. You know, it's okay, I'm going to fit this in your meal for your macros and all. And that's what happened. So you had bodybuilders and fitness people recommending us as a as a, as a you know, dietary or a supplement, if you will.
1: So, you realized early days then that you needed the community in order to fuel the success.
0: Community. And I say this any brand that wants to succeed, you need a thousand screaming fans. A thousand screaming fans in your, your multi million dollar company. Because it doesn't matter whether it's a drink, clothing, apparel, if you have a thousand people screaming about
1: you, it's, you're bound to be successful. I remember reading the article originally written about a thousand true fans by Kevin Kelly. I think it was. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've read that article. Yeah. And he was saying a similar thing, like once you've got a thousand people, if a thousand people keep telling, you know, one other person a week, you, sh- you can, and, and those people because they become raving fans because of the enthusiasm that they've shared your product with, it can exponentially grow. The number is a
0: thousand. I don't know whether it sounds like a lot. It doesn't sound like a lot to me, but once you have a thousand people behind you, that's an army. Because like you said, they're telling people at Thanksgiving, they're telling people at the gym. And I've had people come up to me and say, oh yeah, I've tried Quest Bars. My my friend told me about it yesterday or something. And it just creates that momentum. And that's what happened. And people started writing us raving about it.
1: Quick one for you guys. This podcast is sponsored by contentremover.com. As many of you are probably aware I set up contentremoval.com in 2017 to help people remove all forms of online content and I've looked after some of the biggest names and brands in the world doing it and I would love to help you if you're struggling. If you're struggling to remove images, videos, search results, fake accounts or anything online, go to contentremoval.com and we'll help you today. So you created a flywheel of communication with inside the business that, that allowed it to propel from the inside out rather than what most businesses are trying to do, which is create a product that they think is good and then put advertising dollars behind yeah, it. Yeah,
0: they put yeah, Google and Facebook ads and everything else thinking, hey, come buy my stuff. And we, we went the opposite. Try it. You're going to enjoy it. And then they started buying it.
1: And I thought it was interesting the way that, the, the way that, you know, the comparison that I'm using is Gymshark to Quest. Yeah. How both Gymshark and Quest, obviously two different niches of product, but they've both stayed true to their core industry, which is bodybuilding. Yeah. So so I think one of the key elements of the, of the Quest success story is they never wavered from their core audience. So they were never getting lost in noise.
0: Yeah, exactly. Never. And, and we, we tried some other, and we actually got involved, and, and as we grew bigger, then obviously what happens when you grow bigger, other people start, too many opinions start happening, right? When you're nimble and humble, it works seamlessly, right? I got us involved. We did a couple of CrossFit events, and we became a, we became a household name in CrossFit, which to me is similar to, you know, it's a similar variation of uh, fitness, and, uh, but we had great success overnight there because they coined it. It's crazy enough. We didn't coin it. We didn't even use the term people would say oh you're paleo friendly or paleo acceptable things that you know obviously crossfit was used at the time and we became a household name but that was another vertical we had great success in
1: did you kind of pick the other niches within the fitness industry predicated on what some of the other brands are doing like i know early reebok because i spoke to the founder reebok on this podcast um joe foster and he was saying that they pivoted into crossfit as well because they saw a market there first they pivoted into Running and made running a thing, and then they pivot to try and get ahead with Nike, and then they pivoted into you know aerobics and CrossFit as well. Uh, Did were you studying brands like that?
0: No, actually, honestly, the f- the complete truth is one of our sales guys saw me and said, "Hey Bruce, you got to check out. There's this. It's it's I can't, it's CrossFit. It's not CrossFit Boston. It's a, it's a box. across yeah. in Boston and mm-hmm. the suburbs. Hey, you got to check this place out. They, they're buying at the time, which was a lot, thirty boxes a month." CrossFit gym. You know, CrossFit gyms are pretty small. You got to check them out. So I called the owner. He said, "Oh, these are on fire, man! Like these are amazing." And, and he goes, "As a matter of fact, in two weeks we have a a wad a competition. You know, workout of the day. Which you know, in, in CrossFit, you should come out." And I thought, shit. So I grabbed one of the guys at work. I said, "We're going to go to this CrossFit event." I didn't even know what I didn't even know what CrossFit was. Right? You can see it on social media maybe a little bit. And I went out to this event and the, and I realized that was the true test. These these members. And there were probably four hundred people showed up at this event. They all loved the product. They all raved about it. They're the ones that referred. Hey, it fits within our, you know, what we, you know, paleo, keto-friendly, you know, all the things co- they they coined. I went back and said we really got to explore this CrossFit stuff. They're a bodybuilder's diet, right? So even it when they're in the hardcore stages of bodybuilding, you know, it's the chicken and broccoli. They'll even cut out Quest bars, right? I said CrossFitters eat. There's no dieting. They're beasts. They just work out and eat. So they were consuming our product like like crazy. So then we. Did did a series called the Garage Games down in Georgia, and then the CrossFit Games themselves. The opportunity came up, and we went there, and we launched our chips there, and it was it was an overnight success. And they invited me out to the Reebok headquarters because that's where the main CrossFit team was, and that was a trial. But I didn't we didn't see what other brands. And I saw Reebok was there, and they used to have a nutrition company, I can't think of what it's called that was involved. But we we tested it in the CrossFit community, and just took off.
1: I mean, yeah, I, th- I think you. You've 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 hit the nail on the head. Where you've essentially said, "Look, we're ta- we, we've taken our bars into the into the communities, yeah. the respective communities, not just one community, the yeah. bodybuilding community. You took it into CrossFit. You've taken it into other communities yeah. as well. Yeah. And you kind of really seen where your product hits, and 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 you're seeing real time feedback." And obviously, you're giving people product to take away and and share with their family and friends, which makes which makes it virality. I suppose they were posting it on social media as well because yeah, for sure. Because when people get given something, they want to share it. Yeah, and
0: that it. kind of became a, and and all of a sudden the big names in CrossFit we're talking about. It. And I also figured out something. I it's funny, I learned two things happened in CrossFit. GNC tried CrossFit. They became a sponsor, and what happened was they failed. CrossFitters were not into pills and potions. You know, they were trying to sell bottles of pills and vitamins and. CrossFitters for the most part are they eat whole food, right? They never work. GNC they put a lot of money into it. So that was that was that was a true test.
1: So it's about understanding understanding the communities that you're going into as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have to walk lightly, right? You don't want to just come in and say, hey, try this. So it,
1: it blew my mind when I listened to another podcast with you, because obviously it was so we, you, this journey's been so well articulated mm-hmm. by you. And obviously one of the things that, that after twenty minutes of listening to this podcast I realized was who is this Ron guy? Because obviously, for years, I thought <clears throat> Quest was founded by another another <clears throat> entrepreneur, and I kind of, I kind, I kind of got lost in who this Ron guy was. So Can you give me a bit of a? Uh, can you give me the bit of a backstory into the founders of the actual true yeah, founders yeah. of Quest?
0: Well, obviously, you know, Shannon and Ron were married. She's been in the fitness space, so she 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 just start, she was she's they're foodies, right? So she was just making different products and, and stumbled across making these bars. Ron has always been in the tech space, but science driven. He's a very intelligent guy science and nutrition he'd always talked about i didn't even know him then actually he was talking about making some kind of product and he was talking about supplements at first and then when she started making these snacks let's just they weren't even bars whatever they were squares he said wow this might be something now it's something he thought he had the light bulb moment where this is a consumable item that people will eat seven days a week 24 hours a day there's always going to be someone eating and that's what happened and so he basically Behind the scenes, he went to his partners at the time, and they had they literally walked out of the meeting. He said, "I have this idea for this nutrition company, these protein bars," and they said, "Ron, we're in the we're in the software space. You know what I mean? Like, let's stick with what we know." So, behind the scenes, he built out a website with a gentleman named Michael Venny, who I've known for years, and he tested the website. And I guess, in the simplest layman's terms, they made some fake orders and then canceled them, and people were people were into it you know they're trying to and, and he said listen I, I he went to tom uh, uh mike and said here's the results of this test we're running and they reluctantly said okay let's try it and so they made the first rounds of bars at a commissary no, at night a kitchen space they rented kitchen space so they're making the bars by hand popped them up on the website and they sold out immediately and they said okay shoot this might be something let me let's make another round of bars and i'm talking about a thousand at a time i'm not talking about a lot boom they sold out again and at the time, they used. You know Shannon was into fitness, and they used Shannon's dad, who was still alive, and as you know, an icon in the bodybuilding space. And they put him on the website, and it became that word of mouth thing. It literally became a word of mouth where people were just trying it. We got in people's hands bodybuilding shows, and people started saying, "Where do I get these quest bars?" And it just
1: that snowball effect. And and Tom was <clears> actually Tom you was actually a, a copywriter. Yeah, within. he was a
0: copywriter at the tech company, and uh, and Ron was obviously the founder and came up with this idea, and then they took Tom and said, hey, we need to head over and run Quest. So he became a partner, you know, by that way.
1: Yeah, beautiful. And and obviously, like, when it was coming to exit Quest, did did Ron, when he first started this, did he build it to sell it? Or was he building it as a passion project? Because a lot of people say, um, and you'll attest to this, don't go out of your lane. Just find something which works, which makes you money, which Ron had with his software stuff. When you find it, just drill straight into that and don't step out of your lane. But he's obviously decided to go into this fitness thing as a passion project. Did he ever dream of exiting it?
0: I think early on when he, when, he, when he first started it, I don't think anyone knew of the success. I thought, okay, we'll have a, we'll have a you know, protein bar company, right? I don't know at that time. I don't, we talked about it lightly then, but I don't think there was ever a vision of this could be something huge, right? Hey, we have a side hustle. They have the tech company and we have the side hustle. And I think it just evolved to the point where, oh, wow, you know, and then private equity and people started talking to us. And actually, my friend did the investment, uh, the first investment with the company. I don't think that was an initial thought. I mean, obviously, now that we've evolved, now, Ron, it's interesting. Um, Alex Ramosi had mentioned recently, I I either heard it or wherever it was that he said there's been less than $1,000 billion brands in the world. I think it was 1,000 or 1,500. Keep, keep, and a unicorn, which Quest is because it sold for a billion dollars cash. Now Ron is working on a second brand, which is Legendary, which will be probably be evaluated at a billion dollars in three years. So think about that. Two billion dollar brands under the same leadership. And he's still involved in... He's think? involved day to day. He runs R&D. So he's, he's never taken his eye off the R&D. And that's one thing. If you look back at the Quest days, our R&D team was, were not science, weren't guys with PhDs. They were just a bunch of guys. And girls, like people, you know, Shannon would take the recipes and say, hey, you, now you guys need to scale it. But we, we had a food scientist, obviously, because to, about water activation. But at the end of the day, Ron really was the the go-to for everything we did. Uh, a lot of self-taught people, a lot of just kids coming out
1: of high school just say, hey, I just, I'd love to be in this food space. Was it a struggle to formulate the <laughs> consistency of the bars and, and get all that right? Because I know you were talking about just there about the, you know, the, the exposure to the moisture water, in the bar. Yeah,
0: early on. I, they had this great formula and they were great when she made them in the kitchen because you know the people would eat them in the next weekend right at the but but then what happens water activation food molds it rots right so that was something we did have to hire someone to figure out the water activation and the other thing is like Ron says it best they were just gonna be a marketing company quest was gonna literally be a marketing company they would have someone else make the product but when they took the let's go it's called it the dough the the metrics of the the product when they took it to manufacturers and they tried to run it through the equipment. It wouldn't work because it was too. Uh, it, it wasn't pliable enough, right? So every, everyone we tried to get to make it said, "Well, if you add agave or honey or some liquid, get something to make it more pliable, which would defeat the whole recipe, right? Let's add all this sugar." And so we ended up buying some used equipment, and and basically Jerry rigged it and figured out how to make it work. Mike Osborne did that, and that was like how we started making them in in our own equipment. But See, it was not by. But by choice, it was by we had to so right, we
1: assess- the way, so right the way through the quest uh, the quest journey then you've always manufactured your own product
0: yes all from day 1 day 1 until so funny we fast forward we end up having i think a peak of 1400 employees only 140 in the headquarters for our sales marketing all that stuff but everyone else was at manufacturing i think we had almost a million square feet of between sh- you know shipping and manufacturing and robotics and all these machines and then Eight years into the journey, we bring in a CEO, and he says, why are you guys manufacturing your own product? Now the world's obviously evolved, right? So now other companies can make it. So now it's, everything is now farmed out. Yeah. But at that time, we, we spent millions on equipment because no one knew how to make it.
1: Does, does farming it out to other manufacturers and having partnerships like that bring the cost of the product down? Oh, soon?
0: tremendously, tremendously. Yeah. Think about that. We had 1,400 employees. Then you go back down to 140 employees. And There's no nothing, it's, it, it's all off our back, right?
1: And what did it, what did it, what, what difference did that make to the margin of the product?
0: Um, I don't know that exact math, but obviously it's more profitable, yeah, right? Yeah. And then we also centralized where we had, you know, manufacturing in the Midwest, on the East Coast, and on West Coast. So you had equal distribution as far as shipping, too.
1: And yeah, and obviously then you can use three PLs to put, yeah, your all that, yeah, rather than having your own warehouse yeah. in. And, and now it. everyone
0: does it. Now, fast forward 2023, everyone that. Everyone has someone else make their product. You know, you have obviously proprietary things and all, but then, you know, everyone uses the 3PLs. No one owns their own shipping anymore.
1: As, as, as someone <clears> like <throat> yourself who's, who, 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 who claims to be, even though you are an entrepreneur in my opinion, but you claim yourself as this in, intrapreneur within right. businesses, how can other people that might, that might be listening to this who feel like, they they need to align with someone else they they need to they they don't feel like they can do it on their own but that but they, they 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 resonate with what you're saying they believe they can go out and build relationships with people what would you tell them to look for in the entrepreneur that they invest their time in
0: as an entrepreneur or an no, no, as an entrepreneur and, and and by the way i i realized because i've talked to a lot of people and i say that's not possible where i work bruce because i'm a nine to five guy i know it can't always work maybe seek out where there's a new startup company, you know, we I always talk to people. I, I like to help people get involved with in business and find out if there's a spot for you to, hey, let me come in and bring value, and work work my way into something. Now, you obviously, I didn't write a check when Quest started, right? I didn't invest in it, but I I created sweat equity. So while I was an employee, I was an entrepreneur, and I found holes in the game. So I was always looking for opportunities to create more business opportunities and build the company. Everyone could do that. Whether like I said, I go back to real estate if yes it's not easy you have to be willing to look think outside the box and know what else i can do and what else the company needs and it'll be seen i always say this it's not hard to be a top 10 percenter right it's not hard to bring value and if ownership sees that i mean look i'm a prime example the the founder saw it and i end up having equity based on the efforts i put into the company which i had no expectation of that so the opportunities are there are they are they easy to find no and, and I get it. A lot of people are quite content, nine to five, punch a check, punch a clock. But I also, also say this, everyone should have a side hustle, right? If you're working your day job, no reason you can't get off work and whether you're a personal trainer, you're a chef, you sell stuff on eBay, there's so many opportunities now to make side money, flipping things on these Facebook pages. So the opportunity is always there to make money. Um, it, is, it, is it always easy to be an entrepreneur? No.
1: I think I think it comes down to the hunger you have and the type of lifestyle you want. Yeah, and I think what you established early days, probably earlier from from your, I think from your dad, is you saw his work ethic and you also saw how he treated um, the family and how he treated other people. Right. So you saw that, but you also saw that that you're like, I, I want to build on his legacy and what he's done. I want right. I, I want to go through that, and you've gone through the gears with with that kind of mentality. Like, I just want to deliver deliver value to the world right whereas people are people like we said before are coming to the world with expecting you know they'll do a couple of things for people and then they expect the value to come whereas you're like no no no, you never stop giving
0: you never stop giving and I tell people so you know quest was a nine-year journey right and I would say for sure at least six 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 of those years I was on the road 40 weekends a year there's only 52 weeks right mm-hmm and I only by, by default, because of Christmas and things like that, I really, there was nowhere to go, right? Because there was no events, there was no opportunities. So I never stopped. And I think that's why, you know, like I said, once you're in it, and you're in it to win it, I tell people this. Imagine being an intern somewhere, which I was. I mean, I was just helping them for free, even though I had my own business. Going fast forward nine years later to be, have equity in a billion-dollar brand, who would not do that, right? Mm. And there's also something, I just picked it up on another, I don't know where I was at a speech, and I think maybe Dan Fleischman said it. There's over three million businesses that, because they're owned by baby boomers, are either going to close or they're for sale. So I always tell people this there's always opportunities to look at these small businesses, you know, like talk about a side hustle, right? A friend of mine just bought a couple laundry mats the The owner was 75 years old, he didn't have any family to give it to or and he just said, "My friend took it over and he worked out a deal where he's going to pay him at, you know a couple bucks a month, you know forever, right? but so there's always side hustles. There's always opportunities. There's always ways to make money. I think you just have to find them and put the effort in, and never stop.
1: And I, like you say, that I think the deep ingrained why that you've always had, yeah. And you, you, you basically, you've always, even everything you've touched, you've always even whether you've had ownership in the physical reality or not at that particular time, you've always took it as your own. And I think that's what's ge- giving you your attention to detail, which is more than what other people, and I think a lot of people that listen to this should learn that from you. you. You, Just because it's not your company doesn't mean that you're not invested in it the same way that other people yeah, are. Yeah,
0: I call it pride in ownership. And and it became, a matter of fact, a lot of people thought that I was the founder of Quest when I was out and about and traveling and, and there was even times where I'd be interviewed by someone and say, well, when did you start the company? And I'd have to explain the whole story. And they still doubted me. I think they, people thought, oh, come on, you're just being humble. And even sometimes when I was with Ron in public, and uh, they'd start talking to me and say, well, who's this guy? So he's actually the founder. And they said, oh, come on, you're the founder. So people just thought that because when you're out and about every day and you're at every event and you're at every opportunity and you're at GNC headquarters and you're everywhere you are, they assumed, well, he's got to be the founder. Who, who would be doing this if it's not the founder? So I call it pride and ownership. Take ownership and, and show the actual owners that you care enough that it's it's not just a nine-to-five job.
1: And what would your advice be to the people then that are listening that are stuck in something now that they, they can't, f- for whatever reason, find pride in it?
0: Um, listen, that's not always easy. I get it, right? i've been fortunate enough to have a couple of good whys in my life I mean, being a police officer in the security business and, and the nutrition space i think i think you're all, uh, while while you uh, listen money facilitates things in life right we need to pay our bills i get you need a job but that doesn't mean you can't look beyond that and see what else, what do i really want to do i'm not saying quit your day job to be a screenwriter right but that doesn't mean you can't write on the side if you want to be a, or if you want to be a singer or a comedian or whatever you're really passionate about I still think you owe it to yourself. I mean, nothing worse than regrets in life, right? Being on your deathbed and said, hey, I wish I had done that instead of just trying it. You know?
1: Yeah. yeah. Obviously, when you were looking after all these top celebrities. Yeah. Did you just build that initially from just... Looking after one celebrity, then then giving so much value that they told their friends and their friends is that is that as simple as it was to build that business?
0: Yeah, secure Well, for me anyway, it was a, it's interesting you say that because that goes back to once again relationships, uh, meeting their expectations and exceeding them. And there is also a lot of factors involved with the security business because it's I call it social cues, EQ. Like you have to switch gears, right? So I am a very I am an extrovert when it comes to this and 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 talking about and nutritional products, but when it comes to security. You have to really step back and be like a wallflower, right? But I did things, and a lot of it was word of mouth. Like I picked up the chairman of Sony Music by referral, and then in turn I'm taking care of his wife, Mariah Carey. And then once I did that, then someone else would call me and say, hey, I heard you're traveling with Mariah Carey. Can you help me out? I have a stalker. And it really became a word of mouth, but what I was really more known for is my planning and logistics and really staying out of the way. And security is a tough business. I've had clients now, I've had clients that are with me for 20 years, And there's very little conversation with me. It's normally with the assistant or something. But um, and people can't get their head around that. But I am just there to provide a service. I'm not there to be your friend. And actually, one of my clients early on told me that. So listen, we'll have a long relationship, Bruce, as long as it remains business. We've had people we've hired in the past that want to get too comfortable, become friendly. And it's something that I just inherently have learned how to do.
1: See so, so the good thing about that is you've learned how to do it but not to take offense to it whereas I think a lot of other security professionals or a lot of other professionals but in whatever business would take offense to that. Yeah. Uh, so how did you discern what to like how, how did you discern not to take offense to certain things in life because that 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 that's something I'm just I've just picked that up from you right there. I'm like wow, hold on a minute. Yeah. It, it's actually profound when you think about it because you've said I'm happy to sit in for 20 years and never speak to you and keep you as a client. Yeah. But most people that would do their heads in in business.
0: I have friends of mine that say, wait, I understand. Wait, you don't talk to your client. I said, no, there's nothing to say. Even when I've met them and they'll get in the vehicle flying in privately, they'll get in the car. They're already on the phone. Now they might say, how's it going? I'll say, great, sir. That's it. I know not to say great, sir, but there's no other conversation or it's like, it's a, a, What goes back to social cues, right? When someone says, how are you doing? No one really wants to hear you say, well, to be honest with you, I feel like shit. And I'm, you know, no one really wants to hear that. So it's just a courtesy. And I've just learned over these years, I've literally been to restaurants with the same client day in and day out. And they'll say, Bruce, you want to join us for dinner? And I'll be at the bar. They know now not to even invite me. But the problem is people in my field will say, oh, they invited me to sit with them. I, I guess I should, right? But I've gained so much more respect because they know Bruce is always looking out for me. He's never going to cross the line. The only time I've lost clients when I tried to scale my business because it became, they wanted me, right? And there was a time I couldn't make it. And someone really famous, one of the biggest names in the world, was going to Mexico to film a video. I couldn't make it. I sent this guy and I said, here's the deal. you got to stay be professional. The client was working out in the gym, and he decided to give her some pointers on working out, which that was okay. That was one bad mark, right? And then three nights in, they keep inviting him to dinner, and he's like, no, I'll sit at the bar. And the last night, they said, well, it's the last night. Come join us. So he sat at the table with them. He ended up drinking wine. So I didn't know any of this was going on, but when they came back, the manager said, hey, come by and see me, and I met him, and he said, listen, your guy was great, except he was giving fitness pointers, which we didn't hire him to be a fitness coach. And then he sat with us at dinner, which you've never done, Bruce, so this is weird. Why is this guy sitting at our table? And then he drank wine. And when I talked to the guy, his response was, I couldn't help myself. I go, what's that mean? Well, I saw her. She was doing tricep extensions wrong. I go, we didn't hire you to be a trainer. I see people every day in the gym that don't know how to do stuff, but I don't get involved. Uh, so my, my point this. is this. He didn't have the social intelligence to think I'm here to be a bodyguard. Let me stand in the corner and be quiet. Let me help you train. Let me tell you to do things. So that's been my success. And I've even had artists that have said to me, they only they know my name and they know I'm around and they know take care of business and I get them in and out of places and I plan and know I'm planning all this because things run seamlessly. One of the biggest artists in the world said, Have you ever thought about being a creating a management company? I said, No, not really. He said, Well, you should, because you're always thinking about what people need, and you're not asking, but you are you just see what I need because you see what I'm dealing with and you just get it done. My manager doesn't do that, Bruce. So I, I just like uh, once again I'm a servant leader I say that best I like serving people I'm okay not being the front guy I'm okay being behind the scenes and it's okay but not people you know people can't switch gears
1: I've I've <laughs> learned so much about myself yeah. in that because I realized that in earlier on in my life I've I've got involved in too much stuff that was none of my business right which yeah. I think we all have to yeah, do yeah. I've, I've obviously learned that over the years but it profoundly landed with me when you said that because it's like yeah, like you've been paid to be a security guard. Yeah. You're not paid to be at the table, drink wine. You're not paid to, to, to offer some girl f- fitness advice. You're just paid to make sure that she gets from her room She's to safe. the gym. Yeah. That's it. And it's about it's really about, in your business, understanding exactly what you're paid to do, yeah. over delivering on what you're paid to do, but not getting involved in anything that you're not asked to get involved mm-hmm. with. Is and I could use said.
0: that in any analogy. A camera guy in a podcast—we're paying you to do the cameras, not asking you to create narrative. I mean, anything. And, and it's not always easy because I've been with clients, and I've even heard them misspeak, and I don't say a word because they're not looking at me. I've I've had clients say, "Hey, we should go here for dinner. I heard it's a great restaurant." I don't say a word. Now I've had clients then turn to me and say, "Hey, Bruce, this is your town. Is that place decent?" I said, "I don't know anyone that goes there, but I won't. I don't. I'll share the least amount of information." Because it's not my position. You know what I mean? You could Google a good restaurant. You can call someone else. Unless you're looking me in the eye and say, Bruce, where should we go tonight? I don't know.
1: So you've essentially realized that most people that ask these kind of questions don't give for want of a better word, give a fuck what you think mm. anyway. Yeah. So why would you give more information and, and incriminate yourself more than what exactly, you should? Exactly, exactly. Uh, I I, it's just, Bruce, this is like, I can hear pennies dropping all over. Yeah, all over less the information
0: is best. But on the other hand, I could switch mm. gears now if you said, hey, let's talk about protein bars. Hey, let's go. What, what are we talking yeah, about? Yeah, 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 Whey protein... But but now that's a different – like that. I've, in my brain, I know I switch
1: gears. You've got discernment. The that, that most – 90% of the world doesn't have the discernment to understand what you've said.
0: Exactly. And uh, my last – good example. I have friends of mine that I know. They'll say, how come you didn't invite me to certain places? And I had to finally say to one of my friends, I said, because – I'm going to give you an example. I've been invited to the White House before. I've been invited to places like are crazy. I'm always like, how am I here? I told one of my friends, I'm bringing you to this place, but realize I'm a guest of a guest. So there's a pecking order, right? There's the host. My friend invited me. I'm inviting you. So when the big name is up there talking, we can't go, hey, how you doing, man? Just We're here just to observe. And some people can't. Once I told my friend, I don't want you to go and don't go trying to tackle this guy. Don't try and ask him for his autograph because 300 other people are telling him how great his work is tonight. Don't say that to him. And I have friends that can't help themselves. Yeah. Sometimes it's okay just to be there, be a guest, enjoy the moment, don't break out your phone. I mean, I was pretty fortunate. Two weeks ago, I went and saw Sting in concert, right? I've worked with him over the years, and my friend's done transportation for years, so he invited me to Hollywood Bowl. Afterwards, there was a private, uh, his birthday party at a restaurant. It might have been 60 people. That's it. There wasn't a phone out. And there was no awkward conversation, and and like everyone in that room got it, they understood. Mm-hmm. Sting's been an icon. He invited friends and family. Other than say, "Hey, thanks for having mm-hmm. me," that was it. There was nothing else said. But not everyone would know how to do that. Instead of going, "Hey, I'm a big fan of your music," of yeah. course you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah everyone's yeah. a big fan
1: of your music. Yeah, but how many times do you hear that? I was I was <laughs> I was training the other day in the gym, and Arnold Schwarzenegger was next to me, and everyone's up there going up to him, going, "Oh, he only kind have a picture of you or whatever. and I, I just like nodded yeah get, like, nodded are you done with those weights i'll use the weights treat him like a normal human being because like at the end of the day that's that's all he is he's a normal human yeah. i'm a normal human as soon as you put someone on a pedestal start asking for photos you put yourself in fan mode once you're in fan mode you've lost the the mutual respect that you both had for each other because you didn't put yourself in the right frame and i think that's what you're saying is always put yourself in the right frame. yeah
0: he's been a client on
1: off for years by yeah, the way if you look at my old photos he's Phenomenal,
0: but yeah, and I tell people I saw I work out at Golds too, and all and I friends visiting from out of town. Says, oh my God, there's Arnold! I said, listen, if you want a picture with him, don't interrupt his workout. Mm. Wait till mm. he's leaving, walking out, and say, can I get a selfie? And not everyone could. They just sometimes people can't control themselves.
1: Pe- people because of the, I think discernment is the is the best. Yeah, way of what you're teaching here.
0: I think I'm going to write a book on that one day. Yeah, yeah.
1: If. Th- Look, I think it's been phenomenal, the insights that you've given people on this. And I think some of these points, if they if they do not land, guys, I encourage you to listen to this twice, just to let what Bruce is saying there land with you, because it's going to change your whole life and the way you operate your whole business, if you can discern when and when not to get involved in certain stuff. But if there was one piece of advice, one pearl of wisdom that you could instill in this audience and in part before you leave this podcast today that would move everyone in this audience 1% further forward from today, Bruce, what would it be?
0: Um, I'm going to say a couple things, but bring value and have no expectation in return. It'll come back tenfold on you, but truly just bring value to people and don't ask them how to bring value. You see what people do. You're around people, you're around coworkers and friends and family, just bring them value. It'll come back tenfold because those deposits you make, you will eventually either ask for a favor or those people are going to remember you and say, That person took care of me a bunch of times and did all these things for me, and I didn't ask for anything in return, and then the phone starts ringing.
1: I think that's one thing I could say. I love it, Bruce. And yeah. thank you so much for your time today, mate. And guys, do me a solid favor. Yeah, like and subscribe on all the platforms. Share this with someone who gets too involved in their business and gets beyond their station, because I think this is going to resonate with them on, on such an um, epic level. And Bruce, thank you again for your hey, time. Hey, thanks for having me, man. This was yeah. fun. Yeah, man, it great. I wish we could do longer, but, but we're, we're time constrained. Yeah. We're time constrained <laughs> where we are, but we, we, we've tried to get it all in. But guys, much love. I appreciate all of you. Ciao. Guys, do me a solid favor. Drop a comment below this video and let us know who you want on the podcast next.